Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this morning. My name is Sam Craig. I'm the outreach pastor here at, uh, at Faith Free, and it's, so, uh, it's my honor and privilege to welcome Kirk and Becca Jaden with us here this morning. Uh, Kirk and Becca are missionaries that are sent and supported by Faith. They work in uh, Niger, Africa. Uh, they're back here for a little bit in the United States. They'll be leaving and headed back uh, back home to Niger in, on, in January. Um, they came back in order to uh, welcome their new uh, little, their little girl, uh, Elodie, and uh, I will let them explain more about what they do, but it's just great to have you all here this morning. So, Kirk, take it away. Thank you very much. Good morning. It, uh, it truly is a privilege to be with all you all here this morning to worship our, our Lord and Savior. Um, we love being back in Manhattan. Uh, Becca went to K-State. I went to K-State. Uh, we spent our first two years of marriage here in Manhattan, and so uh, it holds a really special place in our hearts. Um, my dad, who also went to K-State, he said, the two greatest places in the whole world is Clearwater, Kansas, which is where I'm from, and Manhattan. And I, uh, I share his sentiments with that. Um, just thank you all for welcoming us. Uh, my name is Kirk and my wife, Becca. Uh, we have three kids now. We have a four-year-old who is Wyatt. Um, if you have a lot of time on your hands and you love rapid-fire questions, you can stop him in the hallway and then talk with him. Uh, Millie, who is two, born on September 21st. And then this September 21st, we welcomed Elodie. And so they, we have birthday buddies in our family, um, and so that, that is why we came back to the States. We head back January 5th. Um, we are in the country of Niger, or Niger, a French-speaking African country uh, that is a country of extremes. It is uh, extremely hot all the time. It is extremely dusty and dirty, um, but it is also extremely unreached. It is 99% Muslim, uh, so it is definitely an unreached uh, people, and it is... Uh, extremely underdeveloped. Every year, the, the, the United Nations put out their Human Development Index. They rank all the countries in the world from the most developed to the least developed. And number one is Norway, and then at 189, out of 189, every year is Niger. And so it is the least developed country in the world. And so that uh, kind of impacts a lot of what we do uh, with our ministry. And so we are, um, oh, also one other stat, it is the youngest country in the world. There is an average of eight children per woman in Niger. That is the average birth rate. And so 50% of the population is under 14 years old. And so the need and opportunity to reach the next generation is only going to increase in the years to come. And so we are working at uh, the one college campus in the country, and we're doing campus ministry. Uh, we're with crew. And so it's, it's fairly similar to what uh, a campus ministry does in the States. We have a, a weekly meeting. We have outreach events. And then um, the, the, the bread and butter, the majority of what we do is discipling the core group of Christian students that we have on campus. And so there's about uh, 25 that are really involved, about maybe 50 that kind of occasionally come to things. And so we do um, discipleship groups. We do Bible studies to help them grow in their faith. And then so that they can go out and reach their fellow countrymen and countrywomen with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we just want to thank you. Uh, we have to transmit the greetings from our staff and students back in Niger who greet you all in our common uh, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And before I left, our national director, who's Nigerian, he said, Kirk, when you go back to America, make sure to greet your family, make sure to greet your pastors, and make sure to thank the churches on our behalf for the support you all give for our ministry in Niger. And so on their behalf, I thank you. And on our behalf, uh, for eight years now, uh, Faith has faithfully supported us in our ministry. And so we just want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts.
Well, yeah, Kirk and Becky, it's fantastic to have you here this morning. So thankful for sharing some of your story. If you want to learn more about what Kirk and Becca do, they have a table in the foyer with some more information. You can stop by that uh, in between the services. And that at, during the 11 o'clock service, uh, they will actually be in the room that's next to the kitchen here, just to the left, room nine, uh, but just the one just, just over by the kitchen. Uh, and they will be able to share a few more stories, answer a few more questions. So if you want to get to know them better or have, any, have anything you want to ask, uh, please do make time to, to come by and see them during that time. Uh, you'll also find Kirk's email and then the link that you can, you can go to if you'd like to join their support team. Um, all of those things are appreciated. Prayer and, and, and financial support are always appreciated by all of our missionaries. So if you want to learn more about that, uh, that information is in the bulletin this morning. But now if you'd all join me in prayer, we'll pray for Kirk and Becca and for our services. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the gift of gathering together and worshiping you this morning, and we thank you for the additional gift of hearing from and worshiping alongside Kirk and Becca. We praise you, Lord, for the work that you've called them to, to be, to be a part of in Niger. We ask that you bless their efforts to share the gospel in, in what is a difficult place and among people who desperately need to hear the truth of Jesus' love for them. Lord, we praise you for the safe arrival of their beautiful three-month-year-old daughter, Elodie, and we ask that you bless the whole family with a safe and smooth return to their home in Niger later in January. And Lord, we praise you for allowing us to be partners in, in your mission along with the Jadens. It's an honor and a privilege to send missionaries into the world, even as we strive to share the gospel with our own neighbors here in Manhattan. And so we ask that you bless the efforts and prepare the hearts of those who, who we speak to here in Kansas and even as far as Niger to receive the message of your love and your joy. Father, for, for many, it has been a difficult week uh, in our community. Young lives were lost in a tragic accident. Our families and children were shaken by the potential of violence in our schools, blessedly prevented, but still frightening and hard to process. Last night, uh, we, we, we are now learning that there were lives, some lives lost and, and some still struggle to survive after a terrible shooting. Lord, we pray for all in our community who, in, who wake up this morning with heavy hearts that are overwhelmed by fear. We pray for peace for those who have lost their loved ones. All these painful things are poignant reminders of how much we need Advent and Christmas, how much we need a Savior who entered the world, walked among us, experienced our hardship, and created a way for us to be saved from the evil that is in this world. As Pastor Steve comes now to share from your word, may we all lean heavily and dependently on your hope and your love and your promise of peace. Please bless Pastor Steve with, the, with great wisdom and bless us with discernment and ears to hear and hearts to change. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see each of you here today. Today we begin a three-part series we're entitling The Cost of Christmas. Uh, this morning, next Sunday morning, and then on Christmas Eve. And when you think about it, uh, God himself paid the highest price. The cost was greatest to him because he sent his one and only son to die for our sins. But it was also costly, we learn in Luke 1 and 2, for everyone that he involved in the mission of his son. Today's passage is Luke 1, verses, verses 5 through 25. If you're able, I would invite you to stand as I read this passage and be reading Luke 1, verses 5 through 25. Luke writes this. 
In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while, she was ser- while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time." And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. This is God's word. You can be seated. I am aware from talking to some of you and to others, one of the most painful, uh, discouraging things that a person can experience is infertility. You want children, and you look around, and you see children everywhere, and you hear the birth rate in Niger, and you wonder, God, why are you withholding this blessing from me? Is it possibly because of something I've done? Am I being punished for something? God, why? As we noticed in the passage today, Infertility was the issue that Zechariah and Elizabeth faced their entire marriage, and now they were were past the age of childbearing. And what God does in Luke 1 is he shines the spotlight directly on their infertility. It's mentioned over and over. They did not have children, and they were old. 
and he shines the spotlight on their infertility. And, and God basically says to Zechariah, Zechariah, I am on the verge of doing the most extravagant sacrificial thing I have ever done for all eternity. I'm going to send my one and only son to become one of you to die for the sins of, of the people. And in the process of doing that, I'm going to do something miraculous in your area of greatest disappointment. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to become, she's going to conceive, and she will bear you a child. And his name will be called John. Out of everything that God just said to Zachariah, what do you think was the hardest to believe? The part that dealt with his wife, Elizabeth, having a child. And I studied this passage this week, honestly, and it absolutely slayed me because I am just like Zechariah. I can really believe all the rest of it. I, I teach this. God sent his son Jesus. He died for our sins. I believe he's coming back, literally. I believe he's coming back to make all things new. You know what I have a hard time believing? Is that God will do in my life that he will intervene in my life and do something miraculous in my areas of deepest disappointment. And so this passage brings me face to face with the inconsistencies in my faith. And so it confronts me, but it also provides a way forward. And it will do the same thing to you today if you allow it to. And so as we, as we look at this passage, I would encourage you to keep in mind what is your area of greatest disappointment or pain or uh, regret? What is it? And for you, it may be infertility. I know many of you in this room, that has been an issue for you. Or it might be your singleness. Or it might be your marriage. Sometimes they say marriage is like the fly on the window. Those on the inside, one out. Those on the outside, one in, right? That's the way it can be. Not always, but that's the way it can be. Or for you, it might be there's some, there's some area of bondage in your life, and you've cried out to God, but he hasn't delivered you. And you wonder, what about me? Well, Zachariah's experience tells us that if we believe the gospel, we should also believe that God is committed to intervening in our areas of greatest need. He doesn't always give us what we want, but his grace is sufficient, and he does always walk with us. He can be trusted. So let's consider Zechariah's experience. We learn beginning in verse 5 that this was a dark time in the history of Israel. It had been 400 years since God had spoken. Uh, that's when the book of Malachi was, was written. That's when he prophesied. And uh, Israel was being ruled by a brutal, oppressive Roman king. He was known as, as King Herod. This is what we read in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And so in contrast to Herod, who was wicked, here you have this godly couple, and they both came from these families of priests. In verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And so you see what Luke does here? He's very careful to point out 
that the reason they had children was not because God was punishing them. They hadn't done anything wrong. As a matter of fact, they were right with God. They did the things that God wanted them to do. But we aren't told why, but for whatever reason, they had no children and they were advanced in age. And so they would never have children. Now that Luke has introduced Elizabeth and Zechariah, he reveals to them that he has an assignment for them. And one thing we notice right off, I'm, King, I'm uh, Captain Obvious here, he doesn't ask them, hey, are you up for a challenge? Or he doesn't give them these three options. Hey, out of these three things, which of these would you like to do? No, he gives them an assignment. He makes an assignment. And that's not the rare exception. That is the norm in Scripture. Here it is. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And so in that day, there were thousands of priests. It wasn't a full-time job. You would rotate into, into your, your responsibilities. And when Zechariah's division was on duties, they cast lots to, to choose one person. You could only do this once in your lifetime, one person to offer the morning incense and prayers. Zechariah was chosen, okay? Understood, the understanding was he was chosen by God. Verse 10 mentions that the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. While he was inside praying, they were outside. Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. So this is the common reaction in the Bible to angels, okay? Uh, angels are not like in the pictures where they're chubby little babies with wings, right? They appear in a variety of different forces, but if, uh, forms many times human, but they're almost always have this otherworldly aura. And the common reaction is fear or terror. And so they had this standard reply, these angels did. They said, fear not, don't be afraid. And that's what this angel says to Zechariah. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, you're not in trouble. For your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And so he says, your prayer has been heard. And there are a couple of options here. One option is that he's saying, Zachariah, this prayer that you and, and Elizabeth prayed all those years, you stopped praying it a long time ago, but this prayer for a child, it has been heard, and now you're going to receive a child. Another option was these prayers you've been praying as a priest at the altar of incense, these prayers for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel, I've heard God has heard those prayers and he will answer them. I tend to think it's both. He says, I've heard your prayers. You're going to have a child and his mission is going to be to prepare for this Messiah that I am sending to rescue my people. The fact that the child would be named John, that was strange. Typically, a son would be named after his father. And we'll see that later in the chapter. But notice how the angel described the assignment this child would have. He says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord. This is the defining uh, quality of his life. He was great before the Lord. And then he says, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He's going to have this austere life. 
And so he's not going to play Little League. He's not going to do all these other things at kids. He's going to go out in the desert and live there. And he's, he's not even going to be able to drink wine or strong drink. He's got this special calling. And then he says, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And verses like this are, are, are the reason why we believe and why we understand that unborn children are human beings who are created, who bear the image of God. That's the common way that they're talked about in the Bible. When they talk about children in the womb, they are talked about as, as actual persons created in the image of God and valuable. And that was the case here for, for Zachariah's son. They said he'll be, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And now we wonder, what is the calling on this kid's life that is going to need that type of power and that type of presence of the Holy Spirit uh, from before he was born? Well, the angel tells John in, in the following verses, and he basically tells him he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. After 400 years of silence, I'm about to, to bring the Messiah. He's going to be the Lord himself. And your son, Zechariah, is going to prepare the people for the Lord. So in verse 16, he says, Then he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so he wasn't Elijah reincarnated. The angel says, he's, again, there's nuance here. He would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. One thing that was characteristic of Elijah's ministry is that he was drawing people back to himself. Look at 1 Kings 18 sometimes. He's on Mount Carmel and he's kind of doing battle with the prophets of Baal and he tells the people, okay, stop waffling back and forth between these two, two gods. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal then follow him, but be clear. And so he's calling the people back to, to God. And that's what John the Baptist did. He came preaching, repent. In other words, turn, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is about to establish his, his rule on earth. Your hearts need to be ready. And so before Jesus' public ministry, there were thousands of people that went out to the Jordan River and they were baptized by John. And so their hearts were ready for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so you really cannot overstate the, the significance of this child and, and the role he would play. But the plot thickens in verse 18. <clears throat> and Zechariah, after all that, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And so it wasn't enough that the angel had come and told him very clearly, your aging wife is going to have a baby. He said, I want proof. I want a sign. He's basically saying, I don't believe that this is going to happen. And this almost seems like a, a reasonable question for us. But to the angel, it is wildly inappropriate to ask that question. And let's notice why in verse 19 and 20, he says, and the angel answered him, first of all, I am Gabriel. There's only two angels in the Bible that are named, Gabriel and Michael. He says, I am Gabriel. He said, and I stand in the presence of God 
and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. In other words, I'm no lower tier angel, unnamed lower tier angel. I am Gabriel. I came from the presence of God and I came to, to speak to you and, and bring you good news. That, that verb that's translated, bring you good news, it's the same verb you, Luke uses over and over for bringing the gospel. He says, so I came and I am bringing you the gospel. And Gabriel's about to say, Zechariah, you didn't believe the gospel. That is a big deal. And on the one hand, of course, Zechariah believed everything the angel was saying. He believed that the Messiah would come. He believed the Messiah would rescue the people of Israel. He believed the Messiah would one day make all things new. What he didn't believe was the part that applied to him. He didn't believe the part about his wife having a baby. And so he wanted a sign. Well, here's the sign, verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so that wasn't the sign he wanted, but that's the, word, the sign that he got. It was God's discipline. God wasn't being a bully here. We'll see, he was very gracious to him. Uh, Zachariah would never be the same after this nine-month period where every time he tried, to sp- he tried to speak, he couldn't get the word out, okay? And so this was the sign. He needed to understand that in his deepest area of deepest disappointment, God would come through for the sake of the gospel. Well, you remember the crowd that was gathered outside, verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. It's usually in and out. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Then we see in verses 24 and 25 that Gabriel's prophecy came to pass. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. You can read later in Luke 1 about the the birth account of John. We, We know him as John the Baptist. But everything the angel said was true. There was great joy at the birth of the child. Uh, The child was named John, not Zechariah, much to the surprise of family and friends. Uh, uh, Zechariah's tongue was loosed and he was able to speak. And when he spoke, he had this this amazing, beautiful prophecy. And the the main emphasis wasn't, God gave us a baby. (laughs) The The main emphasis was, God has come to rescue his people, and my child gets a role in that. He is going to be the forerunner. He's going to prepare a people for the Lord. And so even though he had doubted the gospel, God didn't abandon him. God disciplined. He brought him to a place where his faith was strong and his voice was clear. His faith was strong and his voice was clear. Here's Luke's summary of John's life. I know we're going at warp speed, but here here it is, verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. 
And so he lived out in the wilderness. He had this austere life. He was single-mindedly set on this mission to prepare people for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this Christmas, this season, just like every season, God says to us, you know what I want? You know what I want from you? You know what I require from you? I want you to believe the gospel. That's what I want. That's at the heart of it. I'm not really after you trying harder. I'm not really after you being more committed unless you believe the gospel. The gospel is so miraculous, it will change your life. It's not just a set of facts I want you to understand. The gospel will change your life if you believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Something so miraculous will happen inside you that you will be a new creature in Christ. And then you can have this assurance that if I have done this greatest thing that needed to be done for you, I will also meet you in your place of deepest disappointment. You will also find me to be faithful there. One of the passages that expresses this the clearest is Romans 8, verses 31 and 32. That's where Paul says this. He says, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Honestly, if God is for us, does it really matter who's against us? He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he who has done the greatest thing for you, for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Not meaning all things that we want, but all things that we need. Everything that we need to remain faithful to God. You read the rest of the, the, the chapter and you see he's talking about not, not uh, God, God not taking away the love of Christ even through persec- persecution or famine or poverty or whatever you face. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And so I want us to circle back to these areas of disappointment that we experience in our lives. And I can't tell you exactly what it will look like for you to believe the gospel in those specific areas of your life. And you, you don't need to figure it out on your own. You need to, to walk, let others in the body of Christ walk with you. But if you do, you will find that God's grace is sufficient and that God will meet you in these areas of disappointment. For example, so I know very little about trusting God in the midst of infertility. Honestly, I am not an expert on that. But some of you are. I've talked to you. As I I look at different people in this room, some of you have trusted God through your infertility and God has allowed you, sometimes miraculously, the ability to conceive. Others of you have walked through your infertility and God has allowed you to adopt. Others of you have walked through your infertility and God has allowed you to have a type of peace and fullness in spite of not having kids. He has given you this satisfaction and this richness to your lives. And like Zechariah, your faith is strong and your voice is clear. And you have a ministry in the lives of many others. Why? Because the gospel is on full display 
through your life. And I could say similar things about other areas of disappointment that some of you have walked through. Some of you have walked through areas of brokenness, areas of addiction, areas of bondage. And instead of bailing, instead of giving up on God, you have kept on trusting him. And you have found that since God didn't spare his one and only son for you, he has also given you everything you need in that area of bondage. He has given you freedom. And as a consequence, your faith is strong and your voice is clear. And God has given you a ministry in the lives of many others. Why? Because the gospel is on full display. And the gospel is the power of God for salvation. No doubt some of you are in the midst of the battle right now. Some of you are experiencing deep disappointment. And honestly, you wonder if it's worth it to keep on trusting God. I would just say to you, the last thing, the last thing you want to do is to abandon your faith in God. Cling to God. Seek him like never before. Let others walk with you, and you will find that his grace is sufficient. And this is what happened to Zechariah. He, he received the discipline of God. He didn't bail, even though he couldn't speak for nine months. And as a result, what happened to him will happen to you. If you receive the discipline of the Lord, the kind discipline of the Lord, your faith will be strong and your voice will be clear as well. And you will actually be part of this, this worldwide movement to bear the gospel in the way we speak and in the way we live our lives. And so, Father, we're praying that you would do this in our midst. God, we pray you'd meet each person here in their, their point of need. I pray for the person here today who's thinking about giving up and is just so beat down and so, so exhausted. I don't know if it's worth it to seek you. I pray that you will give that person encouragement. Surround them with others in the body of Christ, friends, close friends they can trust who will walk with them. We pray, God, that we would see this, this uh, faith, this type of faith, our faith deepened in these ways that we've been talking about here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.